Hello and welcome to the Van Foodster Podcast. I am your host, Richard Wallach, covering the food scene in and around the Vancouver area, across Canada and beyond. This is episode 104 of the Van Food Strip Podcast. In this week's episode, I feature Let Them Eat Cake Afternoon Tea at H Tasting Lounge at the Western Bay Shore. I talk about our upcoming Dumpling Fest, as well as a Vancouver Pizza Crawl. I then talk about Mount Pleasant Vintage and Provisions in Mount Pleasant. Feature the Pistachio Cafe in downtown Vancouver. I talk about Whistler's Cornucopia Festival in November. I feature Lebanese Feast Night at Jam Jar. And lastly, I feature my interview with Daniel Garfinkel, farmer at Athiana acres. Follow me on Instagram, TikTok, and Twitter at Van Fooster, as well as visit VancouverFoodster.com for everything food in Vancouver and beyond. We'll get on with this week's episode. H Tasting Lounge at the Westin Bayshore has just launched a brand new afternoon tea, and it is wonderful. I had a chance to experience it recently, and it's uh, called Let Them Eat Cake, so it's kind of a fun play on course dessert but then they have savories as well so not to worry about that but you know you always want to have a fun afternoon tea experience first of all there's beautiful music there kind of like a victorian-esque tea is sort of the theme here but uh they've got their uh, ferris wheel their ferris wheel that features all these different savory delights as well as sweets uh, they've got scones, so uh, I'll give you a little idea. So first of all, um, when we arrived, they had this gorgeous, beautiful uh, music, uh, a, a, a duo playing a harp and violin. It was just beautiful music to lounge and listen to um, while you're about to enjoy your afternoon tea. You can choose from a selection of teas. They've got O5 Tea, was a local purveyor. They bought some other teas as well. Choose whichever one you think is going to um, fit your palate, I suppose. You know, whatever you're going to want, you know, to have to go with your scones and with your afternoon tea experience. So we started off with uh, delicious honey and lavender white chocolate scones. Now, I'm not usually a fan of lavender, but in this case, it just worked out really well. So there were honey and lavender white chocolate scones with house-made clotted cream, strawberry lavender preserve on the side. And then it kind of came with this fun kind of candy floss surprise. Now, I'm not a candy floss guy. I don't really love it. But it was great for your photos. So like, I see why they do it. They give it to you this and you can eat it if you want, or you can put it in a bunch of uh, pics for your Instagram or your TikTok or whatever you want to do. So it's kind of a fun idea to sort of start off your afternoon tea. And then uh, we go into the um, savory. So my favorites of this savory canapes were the smoked, sake, smoked BC sake salmon blini and the poached deviled egg. Now everybody knows that I don't like eggs. However, Deviled eggs I had when I was a kid, and I thought, you know what, I'm going to, I haven't had this in a long time, I'm going to try it, and it was very good. So my favorite was the devil, the poached deviled egg, really, really good job there. And then uh, on the sweet side of thing, now this, you've got a past- amazing pastry chef involved here. Chef Martha Ebro, she owns Heritage, she also owns Heritage um, Bakery, and she was in my cake challenge last year, and she won first place. So Right when I heard that she's now the pastry chef of the uh, H-Tasting Lounge, I'm like, wow, I know exactly what's going to happen here. And that's exactly what it is. The desserts were phenomenal. So uh, my favorite was the pistachio and cassis torte. 
uh, followed by the chocolate dome and the brown butter almond cake. So uh, definitely lots to enjoy there. Go with somebody. Go with like a one plus. Don't go by yourself. Go um, with your date, with your partner, with your loved one, your friend. Um, but go and enjoy and make an advanced reservation. They're only offering this on Saturdays and Sundays from 11.30 a.m. to 1.30 p.m. $65 per person. Advanced reservations are required. So uh, definitely do that and, and go and enjoy your uh, wonderful afternoon tea through the fall season through to December. Uh, the dump, Our Dumpling Fest is coming up soon. This is our annual Dumpling Fest tour around Vancouver. It's on Wednesday, November 9th. It's in the evening from 6 to 10 p.m. We're featuring a selection of different kinds of restaurants all over the East Van area. We've got uh, Jam Jar doing their uh, Lebanese dumplings. You'll get to see what Lebanese dumplings are all about. And then Mizell uh, doing Mexican dumplings. They will have some Chinese dumplings and hopefully some Indian. Uh, just kind of a fun way of exploring dumpling, the dumpling realm, eating some delicious food and touring around. So want to get tickets for that you can go to vancouverfoodsy.com or go to eventbrite just look for dumpling fest and you can pick up your tickets for november 9th and then we are about to present the first ever vancouver pizza crawl vancouver foodster pizza crawl that is this is our inaugural pizza crawl uh it is taking place at restaurants throughout metro vancouver from november 16th to 30th now this is a non-ticketed event because i've had people messaging me if they can get tickets there's no tickets involved here just going to be feature pizzas at a slew of pizzerias around the city. They're all doing brand new pizzas that are not on their menu currently. They'll be featuring these pizzas uh, for everyone to enjoy. You'll have like 15 days to go out and try different pizzas, um, tag Van Foodster, tag the Pizza Crawl, uh, tag the restaurants that are involved for a chance to win some fun, fun and tasty prizes. So it's going to be a fun one. This is not a challenge. This is a pizza crawl to kind of get you out to all the different restaurants. You go, you'll be able to do a, a dine-in, takeout, and some of them will be available on DoorDash and Uber Eats as well. So uh, definitely a chance to enjoy some great pizza, especially enjoy some new feature pizzas that the pizzerias haven't done before. Some will be offering whole pies. Some will be offering slices. It'll just really, really depend. But they're very, very different kinds of pizzerias. So like Roman style to Napolitana style to New York. You know, there's so many different kinds of pizza, types of different pizza. So you'll have a chance to explore all that. And I think right now we're about 15 restaurants or so. So uh, hopefully we'll have a bit more. But that's uh, that's what's happening throughout the area. We'll have more info on this as we get closer to the date. So Vancouver Pizza Crawl, save the date, November 16th to 30th. I had a chance to go back to Mount Pleasant Vintage and Provisions the other day and uh, have a wonderful catch-up with my friend Don Chubai. She had previously hosted the breakfast television a TV show on City TV and then uh, she moved to, to Toronto about six years ago and she has been the um, top I mean she is on the uh, shopping network the shopping channel in Canada and she um, she talk it's fascinating you have to see you have to see what she does she talks about she talks about all these different products and I mean I don't know how you remember all these different products we had a little chat about it but um, she does that. So what she's able to do now is she works in Toronto and lives in Vancouver. This is a great, how can you do this? It's amazing that you can do these kinds of things now. She loves Vancouver. She's now moved back here. She's living here, but she goes to Toronto for work. So she goes back and forth. But anyway, we had a chance to uh, enjoy some tasty cocktails and dishes and had a chance to explore the menu a bit because I didn't have a chance to do that last time I was there. So I tried the sangria slushy, and this is like, they have this thing with slushies there. They've got two different drinks, the coffee one, and I had that already before. 
And then they have the sangria slashy, very tasty. Uh, Don had a ranch water cocktail is what it was called. Um, every day they do different features. So we were there on a Tuesday, kind of like taco Tuesday. Um, so they have these two features of a taco. They had a, um, a taco al pastor, classico, really good. And an oyster mushroom tostada, also really good. So we tried both of those. And then they also have um, a selection of, of other items that are on every day. So you, uh, we tried not all of them, but we tried most of them. We had a vegan market salad, very tasty there. Uh, the cannellini bean and grilled radish, very interesting dish. That was a feature of the day with crispy shallots and house um, chili shiro. No, actually, that wasn't. I'll take that back. That was not the feature of the day. That is actually offered every day. So you can try that every day. Um, the feature of the day was a scallop ceviche. This was phenomenal. They should put it on the menu. We loved it. Really, really good. Scallop ceviche with crisp tortilla chips. Really good. Uh, tater tots with cheese sauce. This is a fun one. I mean, these are addicting because we were sharing them, but, you know, like, we both kept going to these tater tots. And tater tots are such a simple idea, but they made this really good cheese sauce in-house, and it just was tasty to dip into. So we were both kind of going through this throughout the whole time, and we kind of ate them all. And um, anyway, it's a great place to check out. And I noticed, so if you do go on different days, now I don't ever have time to go on a Friday or Saturday because I'm too busy, but Fridays they have this um, beef rib. So they have this thing where, I've talked about this before, they they cook over an open flame. It's kind of one of the coolest ovens I've seen in a long time. I think they're, Elisa Steak in Yelltown has a similar oven. Uh, they cook in the open flame. So on Fridays they're doing this beef short rib, kind of like, a beef rib, I guess, like that. But anyway, they just they flame them up. So if you love beef ribs, go on Fridays. If you love, you know, tacos, go on Tuesdays. If you love jerk chicken, go on Wednesday. So they really, it's a smart way of doing it because they don't have a humongous kitchen. So it allows the chefs to do different features every day. And if you love one thing, you'll go one day. If you love something else, you go on a different day. And then, um, gives you a chance to try different uh, different items, and then you can have different kinds of cocktails to go with it. So very, very fun place. I think they're going to do very well. I mean, it's great that they have these patios there. So you have this uh, a front patio and a back patio. They are in the process of closing off the back patio for the wintertime, so it's going to be covered, which is good because the rain kind of just sort of started. It's about to get worse, and um, you need a place to go that's going to be dry. I believe the front patio is going to be closed through the winter season because um, it's obviously not going to work in the wintertime. But great place to go. So definitely go and check that out. It is uh, Mount Pleasant. That's 67 West 6th Avenue, if I remember correctly. And then um, there's a new place that I just that just I just checked out recently. It's called Pistachio Cafe. It's 686 Seymour. Uh, they've got Middle Eastern pastries, kind of more on the Persian side of things, uh, and eats, uh, they're open kind of like late night, which is great to see downtown. I just had, I walked in and I just had a, a cheese pie, which was a pide, actually, I actually took that to go, but, and then I had the kanafa. So the kanafa is kind of like this sweet, I don't know, it wasn't that sweet, actually, it's made with kind of a shred, shredded coconut, I think it was, and some cheese, and it's really good, you can get that, and they've got cheesecakes, all sorts of cakes, all sorts of pastries there. Great, great spot. So right in the heart of downtown. So that's kind of a fun one. Now, Cornucopia is coming up. Now, Worcester's annual celebration of food and drink returns to 26th year in November 2022. So very, very soon, next month, uh, it is coming up. And I last attended in 2017. So for me, it's been a while. I was away in 2018 traveling in 2019. And then we hit the pandemic. So, of course, 
things didn't didn't happen. I am actually heading to Cornucopia this year. Very excited to return. It's been five years, of course, as I just mentioned. Now they have I've done this a little bit different this year. So um, it is expanded from what it was. And 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 previously, I think when Cornucopia started out, it was over on the long weekend in November. That's when it was actually happening. Uh, then they extended it to the following weekend. And now it's kind of like every weekend in November features different events. But of course, the main events are happening the long weekend of November 11th. And the following weekend is when I'm going, November 18th weekend. Uh, so there's all sorts of different kinds of events. you got to look it up really online and decide what you're most interested in and when you kind of want to go. Because um, there's there's lots of food events. So this is a very exciting because they've added so many more food events. There's food events on both. On all the weekends, of course, the November 8th, 11th weekend and 18th has more food events. So that's what I'm really looking forward to. Uh, they have wine seminars and whiskey seminars and all sorts of different tastings of beer, wine, you know, all sorts of liquor and then non-liquor. I mean, they're really covering the gamut this year. So it's really great to see. So if you're looking to, you want to get out of town, you want to go to Whistler, of course, I'm sure there'll be snow by then because, you know, it's just, uh, the season is changing uh, but it's always a fun place to be, and you'll meet people, you'll get to talk to the vendors, that kind of thing. And I think they've, they've done a really good job for that. So anyway, go to the website, WhistlerCornucopia.com. Get your tickets in advance. Don't wait till the last minute. This, these dinners that they have are going to sell out. The dinners always sell out really fast. The lunches fall out, and then the other events as well. But um, And make, you know, they've got these packages they're offering too with hotels. So maybe look at the package, pick what you want to go. Uh, and then purchase a package covers your hotel and everything as well. So lots going on. Cornucopia, very exciting to have that return. And I think a lot of people will be looking forward to going. I uh, attended Jam Jar Feast Night. So the first time Jam Jar Restaurant on Commercial Drive is just offering something brand new, a new promotion, new kind of a fun event. It's called Lebanese Feast Nights. It's going to be happening once a month. Um, next one will be in November. They'll have, they'll um, they'll post their date, I believe, on their Instagram of when their next feast night is this was a fun idea you pay like they have this one flat fee and it's all you can eat but so you'd be surprised at how full you get because we were quite surprised although the menu was like quite a lot and we we're like oh my god how can we eat all that but actually you know we ate it all we were very full by the end of it but you know you might as well be full when you're going to a feast night right and you get to explore lebanese food in a different way which is really exciting because when you look at the menu jam jar now i've been there many many times over the years but some people have never may have never been there they really don't know what to order you like do you order falafel do you try something new and different but this actually gives you a chance to try a bunch of different you know kind of like their classic dishes now and then it gives you a chance to try some new dishes and try something new that you haven't had before so this is kind of a fun way of doing it they, um, they set up different stations around the restaurant, and then they also had this menu, and it kind of told you you can get these salads in the kitchen. Now, you can do it in whatever order you want. I mean, I we didn't do that. We kind of followed it through the menu because it was sort of easier for us that way, but some people may not want to do that. You might just want to go and have falafel on the fryer first, get some hummus with it, and then try some other dishes, but everyone's different. So um, anyway, so we just did the... Uh, Try the selection of the salads that came out of the kitchen first. And my favorite was the fatouche. Really good. I love the crispy kind of pita they have inside that. Um, and the fasulia. So the fasulia was actually cannellini beans. Uh, done really well. And it's kind of like stew. It was really good. Really love that. And then there was this burgle salad and you smash the table. It was fun to smash the table. Wasn't my favorite salad. But, you know, you might, that might be everybody else's People have different tastes. People may love that one over the others. I don't know. Anyway, then they had this hummus bar. This is a great idea. So 
previously, or I guess I guess they've changed a little bit. Jam Dry used to offer these um, flavored hummus. My favorite one was the coffee. They don't offer coffee anymore. I don't know why. It's really good. You guys should bring it back. Coffee hummus, really good. But anyway, uh, they're doing different kind of hummus. So um, they had this hummus bar, and then they did this fried nuts hummus, and they were making it right in front of you. They're just frying up these almonds, and then you put the hummus. My favorite one, though, was the... Hummus with beef was really good, and the hummus with the fried nuts was really good. The mushroom one was just like, uh, okay, fine. If you like mushrooms, I guess that's great. But the other ones were just really, really good. And then we had this thing called, um, they have these grape leaf stations, kind of fun, another fun idea. Uh, it's called Warwick Anab, and that's basically stuffed grape leaves. So that was kind of fun, too. You get some of those to go with you. And then they have this, um, there was this other dish called La Bomb, I believe it was. And it was kind of like reminded me of a, like a, a yogurt, Labna yogurt. It had a little pomegranate molasses on it. It was really refreshing, so that was really good as well. We had some fresh baked pita to go along with the hummus, so that was great. And then the beverages side, they had all sorts of different drinks. So they have like cocktails they have mocktails so we we did try a cocktail but then we had um some mocktails my favorite one though was this called jalab so at first i didn't know what it was but it's basically date grape and rose water so to me i loved it i was like this is amazing i'm gonna have this again where lawrence had the ginger raspberry smash he's not a, into like the he doesn't like rose water i do so it's like just you know everyone's got their different preferences so we went that way. We had, of course, the falafel, which is really good. I love it. And the makali, which is cauliflower and pomegranate molasses. They fry it up, and it was that was really, really good. Um, and then they have these uh, larger plates. Now, of course, we're, we're kind of getting full as we're getting to this. But then we have these larger plates. And, oh, my God, this was amazing. Both of them were incredible. Now, this was a taste, a preview of their fall menu. starts November 1st. So, of course, by the time next Feast goes around, you'll have to try this or their other dishes. It was one was called Sayede, and it was a seal head trout. It was really good. Like, this was just like, wow, I could have another plate of this. This was really good. As was this mama's seasonal dish. We didn't actually know what it was going to be. So, we got this dish comes to the table, and it's kind of rice dish, and it's not like vegetables, but it's kind of like spinach. But they told me the name of the ingredient. Of course, I can't remember, but it was like spinach, but it wasn't spinach. Anyways, it was really good. It went really well together. So, like, that was a great dish, and I'm sure that'll be on the menu very, very soon. And then um, we just thought when that was it, we find out that there's a surprise dessert station, which we were not aware of. So we had this uh, saffron ice cream cones that was really good, baklava. And then we got a jar of this uh, chocolate rice pudding to take home, which I had last night. And it was phenomenal. So now I want, I'm now craving this chocolate rice pudding again from Jam Jar. It was it's very good. So anyway, you, you find Jam Jar Commercial Drive at 7th Avenue. Watch the Lebanese Feast Nights. Watch their Instagram for the next one. It's a flat fee. Buy a ticket. Go and enjoy a lot of great food. And they had a live musician playing. You got to listen to some Middle Eastern music to go with your dinner. So it's a fun date night or a fun night with your friends and just go and enjoy. Now, a new spot is just a new cafe has just opened up downtown. It's uh, called Cafe Club. It's at 1018 West Georgia. It took over one of the old Starbucks locations. And they are doing something very different than I've seen before. So personally, when I go to a cafe, I want to do a different experience. I want to just sort of hang out, you know, watch people watch, enjoy my coffee, sit down, relax. That's me. But that's not everybody. And if you're an office worker and you're working downtown and you don't have much time to go for coffee in the office, here is an alternative 
um, which will speed up your, you know, I guess your time, I guess. So you can just go online. You go to catholicclub.ca, sign up. And it will just take you like less than a minute to sign up. You only have to do that once. And then you place your order online and you say whatever your pickup time is going to be. Like, guess if you work, if you live, if you work nearby, uh, you order it in like basically like five minutes. You just say, I want to order this. You, you can put in your coffees, you can put in the food order, whatever you want, and you just go down and pick it up. So kind of like the ritual idea where you go down and pick up the food, but then the coffees will be ready. They'll either be ready for you or they'll make, depending on the kind of coffee it is, they'll make it all a minute while you're, while you're there to pick up because you don't want coffee like sitting around. Now, the cool thing here is they've got these really fascinating machines and the machines that I've never seen before. So very interesting. They've brought in some very specialty machines that are not available in the Vancouver market yet. I know eventually Starbucks, will, this idea of Starbucks doing this in the United States is already happening, these quick service kind of spots. And so I think these guys have got a, a jump ahead of the Starbucks game locally. I'm sure Starbucks will eventually do this, but these guys have jumped ahead of this. They are both um, well-versed in cafe culture, have both have owned and worked in other cafes over the years. So they put their expertise together. So you've got Philip and Alex put their expertise together to create a state-of-the-art Kind of cafe and definitely one of the first in vancouver so you've got these machines and if there's a grinder machine we were just watching how all the different components work you've got the the you know the coffee first of all they've got nemesis coffee on bar you've got moving coffee so these are like top it's a couple of the top coffee coffees local coffee roasters around they've got those coffees they've got detour on i think on their drip coffee i think if i remember right and um and then they have this machine that will just like sort of like weigh out the the number the, the coffee grounds or something like that. Then they've got a machine that just sort of does the steaming of the milk. You program it and you put in I want dairy milk or I want oat milk. You program it into this thing, and then it uh, dispenses the milk and froths it in the exact number of seconds needed to froth. And then they put the drink together. So really interesting, really different. But it's an experience, and you got to try it, try it once, try it more. I mean, there'll be people that, if you work downtown, kind of center downtown Georgia, the Bart, all that stuff, and you don't have too much time to get away from your office for coffee. I think this is your great way, great way for you to do this. You can just order online, and they're going to have an app. The app is coming out in about a month, and you'll just be able to order on your app. Same idea, go by and pick it up. Now, um, and then the opposite to that is they are actually going to add a few tables into the lobby of that building. So soon you'll be able to go down there and enjoy it as well. So you don't actually have to take it to go. You can just pick it up and enjoy it right there. So that, you know, that's a smart way of doing it, especially when we get in the wintertime. You don't want to be walking around with this coffee and all that stuff. So you can just do that there. And then if you want an opposite experience, like I like, we're just going to hang out, then you'll, you won't do this experience. But I think this is kind of a fun one. It's a cool idea. Um, not done really before, but in Vancouver. And I think once you're, once you're kind of going along with it, this avoids your lineup of like, when you go to Starbucks, you're always stuck in line. So this takes that out of the pic the picture here. So you don't have to be standing in line waiting forever. So I think if you're, you know, time of, is, is of essence to you, then this is what you want to do. So check them out. Cafe Club, 1018 West Georgia Street. And then, um, I had a chance to talk to my friend Daniel Garfinkel the other day. He's a farmer at Ethiana Acres in Richmond, and uh, I've, I've known him for years. He, he's chef, farmer, that kind of thing. He's worked all sorts of things to do with farming, and, and a great opportunity got him into some local farming with Ethiana Acres, and we talked about regenerative practices, market crops, 
everything to do with growing vegetables and fruits. We talk about pumpkins and pumpkin season, which is upon us right now, and everything about farming. So this is some really inf great, good information that you may not be already aware about, but uh, definitely something to check out. So listen to my interview with Daniel Garfinkel. Talking with Daniel Garfinkel, you're farming out in Richmond. So we've known each other a long time. How did wow. you end up going the farmer route, chef versus farmer? And then how did you get end up going farming? You know, I always say um, it happened a little bit by mistake and it escalated really quickly. Mm. And I'm grateful for how quickly it escalated. And uh, now I'm a full-time farmer and I farm 30 acres. So I'm a West Side kid born and raised and had absolutely no farming in my background. My parents, um, though they're good gardeners, um, I don't think farming was in their, their title range. And so, uh, you know, it happened by accident. I was at my cousin's house in Victoria about 11 years ago and she had a plant growing and I said, hey, that's a cool plant. She goes, yeah, it's a potato that sprouted in my pantry. I'll plant it and I'll get more potatoes. And I said, wait, what? And it's like she just, you know, introduced sliced bread to me for the first time. And so I uh, literally went out that day, got some gardening books, uh, couldn't put them down. The next week, got a volunteer job at a farm in Burnaby, formerly Urban Digs. Um, and literally, the rest is history. And I just uh, I just couldn't get enough of it in the funniest way possible. I, I often tell one story that there's one day I was at Urban Digs, and we used to raise pigs there. And we were feeding them bananas that had gone off from a grocery store. And it was like mid-August. It was hot. I was wearing gumboots and shorts. And I was carrying a bag of bananas. And it was disgusting. It was like not a great situation. There's pig poop everywhere, muck everywhere. And the bag of bananas split. And everyone, everything went down my back and into my boots. Mm. I still had to work a 10-hour day. And I went home, you know, scrubbed myself clean. And I couldn't wait to go back the next day. And when that happened, I thought to myself, oh, no this is a thing now, isn't it? And so, yeah, and I've just, I've worked on tons of farms since then. I uh, studied farming in Israel. Um, I got a job teaching at Kwantlen University Agriculture. Um, and yeah, like I said, it escalated quickly. So um, we'll talk about the farm and everything in a minute, but um, you've gone from Urban Digs. I remember Urban Digs and I remember the food they used to supply to many restaurants around the city and stuff. And then I forgot it kind of changed. And then you have the other, all these other farms opening up soul food and all that kind of stuff. We're opening up around the city, trying to, to fill up the restaurants and all that kind of stuff. Um, so that happened. So um, maybe you can explain something because I don't understand this. And maybe I don't know if my listeners will know about this, but regenerative uh, regenerative practices. What does that actually mean in the for, in the way of farming? Oh, good question. Um, you know, we're trying to get that question a lot. And I also, to be really frank, I ask myself that question a lot because I think, uh, you know, keep on coming back to the why. Um, you know, you have to be doing this work, I think, for a passion. You know, I'm on my hands and knees a lot. I get really dirty a lot. Um, I work really hard hours. And you have to keep on coming back to the why. And so, I ask myself a lot, what does regenerative agriculture mean? And, you know, I think separating it out from organic agriculture is a great first step. You know, organic agriculture summarization really quickly is growing food, farming without the use of harmful pesticides, you know, doing it in a 
with the land's best interest in mind, et cetera. Um, and organic agriculture is a huge industry now. It's massive. I think for a lot of farmers, they felt that their practices weren't necessarily um, being defined well enough under organic agriculture. And so for me, um, regenerative agriculture is, I don't want to keep status quo. I want to make sure I'm regenerating the land back to what it was a thousand years ago. I want to make sure that the biological activity in my soil is better next season than it was this season. Mm. That I'm uh, encouraging more life in my soil, more uh, diversity in the ecology in my surrounding area. I'm creating areas for birds to nest. You know, I'm uh, planting, I'm making cover cropping a huge component of my whole agriculture and farm plan. And really the kind of, and that's kind of my like, you know, technical explanation. And for me, it's really, I'm in a partnership and collaboration with the land. And I think I, you know, it's a, it's a give and take relationship. Not all my crops work. Um, I only sell the really nice ones, of course. Uh, I don't share about the really bad ones, but it's, uh, hey, you know what, 10% of this crop got eaten by pests. You know what, that's fine. It's the, I'm going to keep this acre out of production because, you know, there's a lot of weed pressure. I'm going to keep it in cover crop for the full year. So I think it's, uh, it's a really multifaceted thing. But for me, the simplest way is I'm in a deep partnership and a relationship with the land that I'm on. And my goal is to make the soil better, make the uh, surrounding area life better, connect with community, grow high quality food. So it's kind of a multi-pronged relationship approach, I guess. Okay, so come back to the farm in a second. So um, how do you feel climate change is affecting us in the in this area of the world? We've had really weird weather this year. We were just mentioning that. It's like you've had rain. We had a very wet June. We had a very hot summer that lasted right until yes, pretty much yesterday. And now we have <laughs> rain again. But Pete, you said you were talking about the potato that was growing in Victoria and from the pantry. But now people say you can grow kiwis in Vancouver. You can grow all sorts of stuff that you would have never thought we could ever grow here. Mm. Do you think that's just something like a blip or whatever? Or do you think that is something long term that just things are changing in the in the atmosphere and the weather and the climate and all that kind of stuff that we can now grow bananas? Yeah, great question. I mean, maybe I'm a banana and avocado farmer is in my future. I mean, I would be thrilled. I'd definitely be buying less of them in this, these stores. Um, you know, and I, I guess answering this, it's a, it's a, a hard question because it obviously brings up emotions because climate change is serious. It's real and we're living it right now. As you said, you know, it was pretty darn warm and hot out until yesterday. Mm -hmm. Um, I, I was getting sunburns last week, um, and my boots were, my gum boots were getting a little bit lonely because usually they get put on in early September and I just put them on this morning. So, I think, you know, a broader look at that question is usually we're able to pretty well track, you know, oh, I know my lettuces are going to start to, you know, become mature at this time. And I know I'll plant tomatoes around, you know, the May long weekend. And, you know, there's these uh, kind of notes in the season. Um, that's getting harder, <laughs> mm -hmm. really, frankly. You know, I remember a few years ago, the smoke was really bad. The smoke was awful. And what that does for crops is it essentially puts sunglasses on the sun. Well, plants need sunlight. And so everything stopped growing. And it was the most eerie thing. It just kind of paused. 
And, you know, you're expecting your succession planting to come up, you're expecting all these things, and then it paused. So then, you know, I thought I was being all smart, um, doesn't happen too often. And I was saying, oh, well, I will plan for the smoke for next year. So a couple of years ago, I planned for the smoke and then we didn't really get smoke. <laughs> and so then I had a lot of food ready and I said, oh crap, I'm a, I'm a little bit pooped right now. I thought I was being all smart about this and we didn't get smoke, which was obviously a good thing. Um, but I think, you know, we, we should definitely, I think as a farmer, uh, I'm a, you know, scaled production farmer. Uh, it would be ridiculous of me not to consider climate change. And I need to, and I need to start experimenting with new crops. I need to start, um, you know, finding seed varieties that are more heat tolerant. Um, I need to start adapting some of my practices. I need to start accounting for, hey, for the first year of my life, I've had tomatoes up until the end of October. This is wild. And I need to start considering those things, which then opens doors for saying, well, what other foods can I grow? What other foods can handle, you know, hotter heats, colder winters, longer seasons? And so it's a, maybe not to make this a positive spin, but it may be a little bit twisted, but it's exciting for me in a way because I get to experiment with new crops mm -hmm. and it's continuously challenging me and saying, well, you're going to get smoke this year. You're not going to get it next year though. Yep. You're going to get it this year. And then maybe you're going to get the wettest June in history where you get the hottest October in history. And so you got to be on your toes. And I look at the, the weather app every day. Yeah, of course. It's my best friend. <laughs> so they said we've actually were in a major drought. We were in like one of the worst drought situations ever in Western Canada. Uh, they yeah. said it was called fifth wave or something yesterday. It was like the worst one. And even with all this rain, it's now forecast in the next couple of weeks. That won't even be enough to even just get us like out of it. So, um, that's mm -hmm. interesting. But also we were talking about pumpkins just off chat before that pumpkins were ready early this year because of this kind of weird weather. Mm -hmm. And then there are pumpkins popping up in stores and no one was touching it because they weren't thinking pumpkin season when it's hot and summery outside. And now that the rain starts, there'll probably be everybody looking for pumpkins. Absolutely. <laughs> but like what happens in the farms? Like they must have still have tons of pumpkins and you don't want them to, you don't want them to waste their crop. So where do you think, I mean, do you think everyone's going to buy them up and have a fun Halloween or do you think people are going to like not buy up all the pumpkins and then what do the farmers do? Mm. Well, I think, you know, uh, conventional farmers, it's, and really non-conventional as well. you know, are we being in the position of being sold out and missing sales opportunities, a little painful, right? So usually we're trying to growing in growing in some form of abundance and we want to hopefully maximize our sales but you're absolutely right you know, no one wanted i mean in california it's a different story but up here in bc you know when we're wearing shorts and a sh shirt in october we don't want to be going to the store of the pumpkin patch to getting pumpkins right you want to be bundled up with a you know pumpkin spice latte <laughs> and so you're you're playing this weird game so i think what we'll see is uh pumpkin sales uh dramatically increase this week um i'm expecting that for me and my farm um and I think we're going to have a lot of unsold pumpkins because realistically, how many pumpkins can one buy? I am the exception, not the rule. I have a pumpkin obsession. I have lots. This is why I'm a pumpkin farmer sometimes. Um, but we're going to get into a position of stores can't move them fast enough. Farmers can't bring them out of their fields fast enough. And like I was saying earlier, you know, it's um, when I, I drive by a lot of farms on my way to work every single day and 
you know, usually this time of the year, the orange field of pumpkins are starting to kind of slowly uh, shrink and trucks coming in to take them out. And I think you'll see a lot of pumpkins remaining in the field. And do I think it's the worst thing? No, because that's great organic matter that will get, you know, worked into the soil and it'll be bird food now and it'll rot. So yeah, it's lost finances as well, but it's also bird bird food. So I don't know, that, that's my, uh, that's my, uh, my for-profit business farmer hat versus my tree-hugging organic farmer hat. <laughs> <laughs> okay, so let's talk about Appiena Farm. So the, can you explain how the farm started and then how does it work? And is are you year-round farming now or are you just seasonal? Great, great question. So Athena Acres, we're a, a super exciting project. Um, so I've been working at Kwantlen University for the last about six years. And I run a satellite campus near Steveston in Richmond. And about two and a half years ago, um, a family, the Panach family, they approached me, their local Richmond family. They've lived here for 40 years. Um, they own a 30 acre farm about a minute down the road from the farm school. So we're neighbors. So they approached me and said, hey, we've got some questions for you. Um, you know, we've got some flooding issues on our farm. Can you lend us some advice? So we kind of partnered up and I said, you know, I think we need to address this issue for flooding. I think, uh, you know, us adding underground uh, drainage piping, which is very common and uh, definitely a big uh, capital expense um, will really help. So I was helping them very uh, mildly on that relationship. And, you know, we put in lots of drainage. It helped the farm dramatically. It was great. And then about a year ago, we they said, hey, what are your thoughts about coming on in a more formal way? And we could really collaborate and partner on this farm. And so for me, you know, I'll still call myself a young farmer, despite the dramatic amount of gray hair of, um, that's increased over the last couple of years. Um, as a young farmer, I see that as a huge opportunity. You know, this is a local Richmond family who's passionate about community and organic agriculture. Um, and they want to partner with an organic farmer and do something good for our community and be a significant, you know, pillar in the little corner of our, our, um, our world here. And I saw this huge opportunity. So we spent lots of time back and forth coming up with ideas, uh, running numbers, and we essentially signed the deal in the uh, in the fall last year. And this has been our first year in production. So we've only been doing about, doing this for about six months. But when I mean the farm was brand new, I'm talking our water lines went came in right from the street. So we had to dig about, you know, 2,500 feet of irrigation lines, which took about three weeks full time. Uh, a lot of folks did not like me after that. Um, and, you know, we had to start some greenhouses and the soil had been conventionally farmed for 45 years, 50 years, and the family had always leased out the land. So the soil needed some love. Um, foundation was there. It's beautiful clay soil. Organic matter was next to nothing. Um, and so, you know, we came up with a plan. We had to set up some infrastructure. I'm currently sitting in a storage shipping container right now, which is my office. Um, luckily, it's insulated and lit up. Um, and so we've, we've had to do all infrastructure from scratch. And, you know, I'm a little bit of a masochist sometimes. So I said, well, let's do let's put the whole farm. Let's start farming every inch of it. So that was ambitious and I regret regretted it sometimes this year, but we had about 28 acres in cover crop this year. And so we did, uh, you know, different blends of oats, vetch, peas, fall rye, and that's really to bring more organic matter, more life into the soil. And it's, it's worked quickly, which makes me happy. And that reduces our need to bring in cover crop. 
So we had our first two fall markets this year. Uh, they were so well received. It was so exciting to, you know, welcome the community onto the farm, sell food. The community was so excited about the quality of food. You know, I got to say hi to my neighbors said, yeah, I'm the one driving the tractor all day. I'm the one that's, you know, digging the irrigation ditches. And so it was great to have that connection. And uh, for us, you know, we've got a long-term plan for this, this property and uh, yeah, we've got some really exciting things in the works and uh, the message I've been telling my neighbors is, you know, Hey, there's a new organic farm in town. There's a new uh, regenerative farm and we're here to stay. And we're here for our community and uh, we're going to make some serious impact here. And we're just so excited. So is your goal to supply restaurants in the lower mainland or just regular old folk who want to get great produce? <laughs> good, good question. You know, I have a belief with food that it should be accessible. Um, I think food's a human right and I want it to be accessible. And combining that with my deep love for cooking and going to restaurants and eating out, um, we kind of want to do it all. So I want to be a supplier. I want to be a, a consistent high quality supplier to restaurants in the city. Do I only want to do five-star restaurants? Absolutely not. I want to make my food accessible to anyone who wants their hands on local high quality food. Um, but also, you know, we have, uh, a few thousand people that live within five minutes of the, the farm. So I want to be able to create, you know, boxes and supply chains directly to them so they can literally buy food from my hands. They can see where it is grown from their, their condos when they're out for a walk and they can go home and take it in and eat it. And then our goal is to have, you know, a lot of farm stands on our property as well. Um, Cause I mean, for me, it's kind of guerrilla education saying, hey, you got to come to the farm to buy it. So then you can see exactly where it's grown. You can meet the people growing it because I want to reduce, I, I want to take that veil of our food system away. So that's, uh, yeah, it's going to be multi-pronged. But again, we have two acres in production this year for 2022. Next year will be a significant amount more. Mm -hmm. And, uh, but the whole cover crop grain will always be a part of it. So we're, so, we we are day one in a many year mm -hmm. multi year okay. project. So last question: What are you growing on the farm? I mean, I was looking at pictures of your Instagram, and I see vegetables, fruits. I see flowers. So, are you doing it all? Yeah, you know, this is uh, again the problem is I love growing things, and it's not just food. Um, I love growing diversity of crops, um, and so I'll say kind of what we're hoping to achieve and what we grew this year. We're hoping to grow, you know, over a hundred different varieties of vegetables. Um, we're hoping to grow an incredible amount of fruit. We want to plant orchards next year, fruit and berry. Um, we want to produce a lot of fine herbs, you know, rosemary, thyme, mint, cilantro, etc. Um, but the majority of flowers that folks get in stores are, uh, and I think this is kind of an unknown thing, but they are doused with chemicals. And it's a, it's a, you know, yeah, food, you want to eat good food, but when you stick your nose in a bouquet of flowers and smell them, you're not getting the best whiff because it's a, there's a lot of preservative sprayed on there. So hmm. we want to grow regenerative and organic flowers, cut flowers as well. And so we essentially did samplings of all of that this year. Next year, our offering will pretty much triple, and then we'll get to a place and see what our neighbors want to eat, see what we like to grow. Um, you know, I'm not the biggest fan of fennel. 
So I don't know how often fennel will be on there. I grow good fennel, but I think it tastes awful. So I may have to get uh, my arm, my 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 arm twisted for for that one. But okay. Thank you for listening to this week's show. Tune into the next episode next week to hear more interviews with chef and cookbook authors, as well as other features. Please tell your friends about this podcast and have them subscribe to the Van Foodster Podcast and Apple Podcasts, iHeartRadio, Spotify, Google Play, and Amazon Music to hear my weekly show covering the food scene in and outside of Vancouver.